You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is David Cottle. David is a wonderful playwright. He's also a painter and such a thoughtful, generous guy. We met when we were both a part of the New Harmony Project, which is a new play development conference in Indiana. And it's been so lovely to continue our friendship back in the city in the years since then. His positive outlook and gratitude for the people in his life really inspire me, and I'm so happy to have him on the podcast. We talk about an environmental musical he's written with Brian Crook and Becca Ayers. He's created a children's book called Bitsy the Tiniest Butterfly and Raph the Heaviest Reed, with illustrations by Anastasia Trena, among many, many other things. I hope you enjoy the 28th episode of The Compass. David, it's so good to see you. Thank you for coming over. Well, we'll get to talk about all sorts of things, but I, I like to start by asking, what do you what do you do to try to keep yourself from going to the dark side as an artist? Um, I, luckily, um, I have a day job that I also really love, so um, that helps a lot, although it also maybe sometimes contributes to the reasons I might go to the dark side, if mm-hmm. I don't give as much time to my art as I should because I'm pretty fulfilled by my day job too and it makes it kind of sort of a catch-22 in a way but um, I guess I'm probably older than most of the people you've interviewed Mm -hmm. so I've been around longer and I've seen uh, a lot of ways of going to the dark side and reasons for it and I just, maybe my perspective is a little bit past that, so I can stay pretty positive just by realizing everybody has their own uh, schedule of when things are going to happen and whether they do or not. It has to do with luck and all kinds of things. It's easy to um, compare yourself to other people and where they are and where you are career-wise, and I used to do that, but I, I really don't do that anymore um, because it's not really about a career for me. I mean, I'm an artist and I'm trying to communicate and I would always love to have a wider audience But uh, because as an artist, if you're communicating, you need an audience. But uh, I'm just 
pretty satisfied with making the art. Mm -hmm. So, when, because I because my day job is kind of demanding, I don't have a lot of time to be creating. Right. So, when I am creating, it's it's kind of like in most of my downtime. So it's satisfying because I'm doing it. So can you tell us a little bit about your day job and how that came about? Sure. Um, I actually uh, got an MFA in set design. Um, so my day job is painting scenery for TV and film and theater. Mm -hmm. um, I also paint costumes for Broadway shows. I've worked a lot with Tony Leslie James, who I love. Mm -hmm. um, and I love doing that work. Uh, every time she asks me to paint costumes for her, I hem and haw because I really don't have time, but I end up saying yes almost all the time just because I love it. So, um, And you get to be around someone who you find inspiring. and Yes, yes. And just being in the theater. I'm, I've never gotten tired of it. Mm -hmm. Being in theater, hearing it all happening around you, how the show is being made, it's, it's exciting. And, and being on the set, um, I've just been working on uh, The Path, the Hulu series that mm -hmm. just now debuted like last week and uh, I was on the set for that for the whole first season and I loved it. The cast was great, the, the crew, everybody. It was really a, a, a dream situation as far as the people involved and we were all making a story that we believed in so it was exciting and you know for me to be helping tell a story in another way is just as satisfying. So it's kind of like, I call it my day job, but I really am fulfilled by it. So it's Yeah, and it's still in the world, the yeah, world that you enjoy. And that can be a little weird sometimes, because if you talk about, you know, everybody, they say everybody has a script, you know, in the, in the show business, like on a set, everybody's... Oh, right, like, you know, and like so I wrote a screenplay. people have that idea, yeah. Right. Um, but I don't really come to it from that and I used to be more concerned about people perceiving me um, as somebody who's trying to be a writer as opposed to someone who you know, is um, a writer what's happening more and more is that people who know me as a writer first then see me on a set and they're surprised by that I'm doing that <laughs> so it's kind of fun um, so how, when did you s seriously start writing, if you went to grad school for scenic design? Um, uh, seriously, probably about uh, around the turn of the century. It's funny to say. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. I've, I've before, but actually, it is the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, I think I started getting serious then, but still, I was working a lot, so I didn't have a lot of time. Um, then the one thing, I think the turning point was... I took a class at Naked Angels, an acting class, just to kind of shake things up. Mm -hmm. And I had to play Warren from This Is Our Youth. And I was thinking, why, you know, what am I, how am I going to connect with this character? Because I was 40 and the character is 19. And I thought, I'm just, you know, this, I, I don't see this character anymore. But then I realized the play is set in 1982, and that's when I was. <laughs> so I was actually literally the age of Warren. Yeah. And something clicked, and I just suddenly was in that space of being young and totally naive and um, 
just like the blind, how, the, how much the blind leading the blind it is when you're that age and you, you think you know everything, but you really know nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, leading each other astray, but trying to help each other through at the same time. And so that experience uh, gave me the idea to write The Sunken Living Room. And I wrote it in a week. Oh my goodness. And it didn't change very much ever, really, except in development as we were doing the first couple of productions. I wish I could have that experience again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a longer process. <laughs> um, yes, ever, nothing has been that easy ever since. But, huh. but that kind of is when I think I started feeling like a serious writer. And hmm. then it got published. And luckily, it's still very popular. A drama bookshop just had me signing at their um, first ever Broadway con. Mm -hmm. Because it's still very popular. Um, kids buy it. You know, they say that um, they, we need to bring more young people into the theater. And that's one of the things that's so gratifying is that a lot of young people are buying the sunken living room. <laughs> and, you know, producing it at their colleges, you know, mm -hmm. directing it themselves, that kind of thing. So even though it didn't get as many professional productions as I would have liked, um, the young people discovered it, and they're keeping it going strong after all this time. So that's... that's do you ever do you ever go to see any of the productions? I did. I went to see one in uh, Pittsburgh at Point Park University, and they did it site-specific in... Um, the director's house. Oh, cool. The director, Lindsay Sherman, she did a terrific job. They were all great. Mm -hmm. um, it was an amazing production, and my friend Tammy Ryan, the playwright, came with me, and we sat there. You could only fit about 15 people in the audience at a time, sort of scattered throughout the, yeah. the downstairs area. And it was so visceral, and they were they were really good actors, and, and it was just amazing. It was, it was a fantastic experience. And the design for the poster was the four characters from behind, um, each of them holding something behind their back that had to do with their character. Hmm. And Samuel French was starting to redo the covers because they, before they didn't have any graphics on the covers, just the title. Right. And when they were um, reaching out to writers about ideas for new cover graphics, I suggested the poster and they made that the new cover. Oh, how so cool! These kids that were that did this show, they were pictured on. They're now pictured on the cover of the play, and the <laughs> workshop had a, an event where we had them come in from Pittsburgh and read. Oh, that's so nice! From the play, and uh, I bet they were thrilled. Yeah, oh, yeah, they were thrilled. <laughs> they were they were fantastic. It was a huge highlight of my year. Those are the kind of things that help you stay out of the dark side too. When if you get enough, I, I call it crumbs along the path, mm -hmm. um, it keeps you going and it, it makes you feel like, yes, I'm not, you know, screaming into the wind. Right. You know, Someone, some someone's hearing, hearing me. me. You know, it's, it, you'd always like it to be more, but in what way more? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess I, I would like to see a time when more of the mainstream theater was recognizing that I'm around um, but for now I'm thrilled that, uh, at the people that do recognize that I have something to say and, and are helping me tell my story over and over mm -hmm. the young actors and there are some um, 
wonderful people that have been really supportive. The New Theater in Miami has produced... Which is where you're from, right? Yeah, which is my hometown. Mm -hmm. And um, they've been fantastic. I, I hate to seem ungrateful for anything. I think that's one of the things that's important about staying positive. Because if you're complaining about where you are and how, you know, nobody's listening to you, that's not true. There are some people that are. And if you say nobody, and then you're calling them nobody. Yeah. You know, you're not acknowledging what you what support you do have. And, and yeah. that's important. Um, and uh, another person that I should mention is um, Jane Friedman. She runs the Howell Happening Arturo Vega Art Gallery. Mm -hmm. And uh, you saw the reading we did there. Yeah. Um, of Mighty Cindy Cypress. Which was so much fun. It was so cool. And uh, she's been really supportive. And that gallery just had its first anniversary, which was, um, they wrote it, there was a write-up in the Times about the gallery. And uh, just recently, I'm so glad to see her getting some recognition because what she's doing is keeping the tradition of the East Village arts alive despite all the gentrification and mm -hmm. all the, the the complete facelift that the neighborhood is getting you know so what she's doing is really valuable and i'm glad it's being recognized now and i'm very grateful to be one of the people that she considers an artist that she likes to support so yeah it's one it's wonderful when you can find those people who just you know are willing to give you the space and the time and the because they believe in you so tell me a little bit about that musical, because that was, how did that come about? Well, it's, um, it's called Mighty Cindy Cypress, and it's about uh, a little girl, a Miccosukee girl in South Florida who's um, helping a sort of a motley crew of animals in the Everglades to save their habitat. And it, it's reflecting a real situation that's happening down there right now. There's um, uh, the Pine Rocklands is an ecosystem that's part of the Everglades that is very rare in the world and only 2% of it remains in South Florida um, because of development. And on that last 2%, there are developers who are trying to build a theme park and a shopping center, including a Walmart and and uh, they are just planning to destroy this... 2%. 2% is left. And there are a lot of species that are critically endangered that live only there. Um, and there are groups... There's um, uh, the Save the Miami Pine Rocklands uh, Facebook group. It, it's not just on Facebook, but they're a very active group um, led by Al Sunshine, who is a sort of a veteran CBS news reporter from South Florida. They're trying so hard, they're fighting so hard, and I, I've been hoping to get this play in shape to have some kind of public presentation down there to help raise awareness, because even in South Florida, it seems that people are not aware. And maybe there's a, people are thinking also, well, the whole city is gonna be underwater soon anyway, so I mean, that, that might cause some apathy, but. If that's the case, why this all this new development? Right. And the environmental agencies seem to be um, 
I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they're they don't have faith that they can fight the big money. I, I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't seem to be. The the more species that are proven to be in that location, it doesn't seem to be um, stopping the plans. Just not registering with them. Yeah, there was the Miami tiger beetle. They they were looking for it there, and they found it there. It's very rare and almost completely extinct, and and uh, we were hoping that that would make them stop and have to do a, a lengthy study to find out what the full impact was going to be. Um, and I heard that that was the case, but now I'm hearing things that it doesn't matter. There, there seems to be some dumping on the on the rounds, oh my goodness uh, already that yeah that is kind of like going to compromise the area so that maybe the next time they go back and say but we really want to develop here and what's the difference it's already you know it's not pristine anymore oh my gosh um so it's like very it sounds very insidious and uh if i could do something like if if something i'm doing could be part of changing that Mm -hmm. that would that would be everything to me you know yeah um I'm well, I I love that the play was a children's musical too because you know if you get the kids to be excited about something or care about something like you know that's hard for their parents to ignore that's hard for their com- community to ignore. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. And, yeah, um, I'm working with. Morgan it's hard to, hard to say no to those cute little kids when they <laughs> confront you. Yes, and then they'll grow up and care more. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully. Um, but I, I'm really lucky to be working with Morgan Jeunesse and um, her consulting company called In This Distracted Globe. Um, she won a Doris Duke mm-hmm. fellowship um, for artists that are doing things to make a difference. And uh, I'm just really grateful that she's involved and she's been really helpful as a dramaturg and, and a cheerleader and We'll see where it goes. Had you written a musical before? Like, have you collaborated with... I have, um, but uh, I wrote one that just... It was about the founding of the Actors Fund, and I love the subject, but I kind of made a um, sort of fictional version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Although using the real founder. uh, And I don't know. I'm not sure if it was... It's just kind of sitting there right now. (laughs) (laughs) That happens, you know. I uh-huh. don't have time to work on too many things at once. Um, and I'm working on another play with music that's about uh, the first female composer on Broadway um, that had a, wrote a full Broadway score that was a hit. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, that's a fascinating story. Her granddaughter asked me to write it, and um, she wrote the... Her name was Kay Swift. She wrote the music for this Broadway hit from 1930 called Fine and Dandy. Hmm. And her husband wrote the lyrics. And during that time, and for 10 years, she was having an affair with George Gershwin <laughs> that her husband knew about and wow. tolerated. So um, it was a, it's a complicated love triangle, and everybody was sincere in it. Hmm. Um, it sounds crazy, but that's they really she really loved both of them, and they both really loved her. And they were trying to work out the marriage, and they were trying to work out what the relationship was between George and Kay. And um, ultimately, I think they saw that it was impossible. But um, the show is about the making of the musical 
while they're trying to navigate this complicated hmm. situation. And it's a very jaunty, fun, you know, comedy <laughs> kind of. And are you working thing. with a composer? Or oh, you're using yes, the music it's, from it's the show. Oh, I see. So, Amazing. Yeah, and and the the way it's written, it's about them writing the show. So whenever you hear the songs, you're hearing them working on songs. It's not sure that she's not right. stopping to sing about her feelings. Right. But the songs do reflect what they're going through. That's um, really cool. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited. I think it's gotten to a really good stage now, the script. And so mm-hmm. I'm working with a musical director, Aaron Gandy, who... Um, uh, is helping to build the, because we don't use the full songs for everything. Mm-hmm. So, this how the song is used in the action um, requires some musical direction uh, and some arranging that I don't know how to do. Right. And he's been with the project since before I was. Um, Annie Golden was singing for them, and she recommended me, so that's how I got in there. Um, and I love her. That's mm-hmm. another thing. I mean, when you have a friend like Annie Golden who's supportive, you know, and is asked to recommend somebody and they recommend you. Yeah. And they could have recommended uh, anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really gratifying. And I'm so grateful to her. And um, Catherine Weber is the granddaughter of Kay Swift and Paul James. Paul James was his stage name. Um, his real name was um, James Paul Warburg. And his father was um, the model for Daddy Warbucks. Wow. They were a very wealthy banking family. And um, so Jimmy, uh, her husband, was the youngest bank president in the country. Interesting. And they they were writing this just as the Depression started. So it's really fascinating. I'm I'm just, uh, I can't wait to see what where it goes no but yeah that's so cool that you're incorporating the original show too that that's so central and that the music is going to be a part of your play about it yeah i feel honored that i can yeah. say that i'm collaborating with Kate Swift and, <laughs> really because, you know, and her she was a wonderful composer but she didn't ever really get her due um she was able to play uh, George Gershwin's music from memory and until she was 90. Wow. And uh, she was very instrumental when they, after he died when they were trying to record everything and um, all the sheet music and everything that needed to be corrected and she was she knew his music so well she was a hmm. constant source of, of um, help on that. Wow. But people don't know. So you and your husband moved upstate a couple years ago. Can you tell That's me a little nice. bit about what that's been like? Because how long were you living in the city before that? Oh, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And now you live out in the beautiful yeah, country. We do. And, and we can't afford to have two places, so we are commuters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the place, we wouldn't have been able to afford it if it wasn't such a fixer-upper. So, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's... We really love it. It's beautiful. You get there and you feel like you're away. Yeah. But it really only takes, without traffic, it's, it's an hour um, if you're driving. And if you're taking the train, it's a little bit longer, but not that much. And I like taking the train because you can read, you can do mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, love to have people come up like you. you know, <laughs> so great to have you and have to come again. Yes. Um, but we are loving it and we're working 
And that's another thing that staves off the dark side, when you can be in a beautiful surroundings and remember. And we have wetlands in our, mm -hmm. our I call it our property, but it's kind of like, that sounds antithetic to what I'm writing about. Like with the right. If we all are custodians of the earth. And, um, but the fact is, there are wetlands at the end of the yard that lead to a lake. And so as I'm writing Mighty Cindy Cypress, I look out there and it really does look a little bit like the Everglades, even though it's different latitude and longitude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's... it's Yeah, how, is that, how has it changed when you write? Do you f just feel different being out of the city? And has it changed your process at all? I'm not sure it has, honestly, because... I already, my writing time is catch as catch can. Mm -hmm. And I taught myself a long time ago that when I have the time and, I, and I, I'm going to use it, I just have to make the conditions right in my head. And when I'm at home, there's so much work to do all the time that it might actually hmm. make it hard for me to get into that space because I'm looking at the woodwork that needs to be Right, their to-do list. <laughs> Whereas when you have an apartment in the city, you just yeah. call the super or mm -hmm. something. Uh, it's um, there might be a little bit of a hindrance, but not much. Um, but it can be inspiring when you actually sit down and have some kind of nature to look at. It's 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 a calming thing. But you don't always want to feel calm when you're writing. <laughs> yeah, depending. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't want to live somewhere where there was... I think the view from my writing desk is beautiful, but it's kind of natural, and it's... You can see a lake, but you can't see the whole lake, and it's, it's not stunning. I think if I had a view that was, like, stunning, it would be a huge distraction. <laughs> I have a friend who had an apartment in Midtown uh -huh. on the 40-something floor and his views were amazing and he was a musician and um, he was very inspired there and I was just like, I think I would just be crippled if I was <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it just, everybody's different but yeah. I wouldn't be able to concentrate Well, David brought me this beautiful book today that I'm going to have to post online so you guys can see it but it's called Bitsy, the Heaviest Butterfly and... How do you pronounce it? Raph. Raph, the tenderest reed. And it's a children's book that he has published, and it's so beautiful. It's got these beautiful watercolor illustrations. How did this all come about? I uh, wrote the story, um, and then I just kind of left it sitting there for a while, because even though I'm an artist, I just didn't feel like I wanted to illustrate it. Hmm. Um, so I, it was just sitting there, and... Uh, I, oh, is that I, you? That's me. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so I can never tell what's my neighbor's and what's... <laughs> that's okay. No, but I, I told my agent that I wrote a children's story, and her literal response was, Ugh. <laughs> okay, so I thought, well, I'll just have to figure this out. Um, and then I just kind of left it sitting, and then um, one day on Facebook, uh, Jay Smith Cameron is one of my Facebook friends, and she posted this watercolor and said, look what my friend did. And it was a watercolor by Anastasia Trina. And I said, that is the world I see. 
Mm. So I contacted her, and she loved the story. So we did it together. She did all the illustrations. And then we did an Indiegogo campaign. Mm-hmm. And her husband, Scott Cohen, he's an actor um, who I'm sure you've seen him in things all over the place. And super supportive of Anna and and the book. And it's been an amazing journey. And we're... We did a we printed a first edition for the contributors to the campaign, right? But it hasn't been published yet, so we're kind of okay. waiting. But one thing that uh, Kim Wield, a director friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, she bought a copy of it and she recommended it to this series called Broadway Books, um, run by uh, Dr. Gary Welbrock. He is a teacher. He, he so he has. Broadway people come in and read story mm-hmm. to his class. It's it's the most beautiful thing. I mean, like they read a, their favorite children's book. And how old are the kids? First like what grade. grade? First grade. And so um, she told him about our book, and so we're going to go read to them tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. And um, Dr. Gary has told us already that the program has really boosted the interest in reading of the kids and the parents have noticed it and they've asked to buy uh, more books and they wanted to put a shelf in their house. Uh, there was one parent that said they were putting a sh- up a shelf in their house of all the books that were read in the, in the oh. book, which I think is beautiful. I mean, yeah. um, it's so gratifying to, to be doing something like that. And it's so fun. I love little kids. Um, <laughs> I went, Anna and I went to uh, another public school. Um, my friend Leslie Preston introduced us to the principal at her son's school, and we went and we read the story to them before the book was put together. And so Anna brought some of her illustrations, and I read the story. And the kids were so cute. Yeah. Like, and she, the principal was asking questions afterwards, and they were all raising their hands, and then you'd call on one of them, and they'd just... <laughs> they, just sort of laugh. they were so they excited. Didn't really have anything to say? But they just wanted to be picked. <laughs> it, was so, it was so cute. Um, but they did. The the principal said that it really kept their attention, and that's not easy to do. So that was really fun. Um, and I'm, so I'm really looking forward to this tomorrow. I, it sounds like a great program. Charles Bush read something, and Stalker Channing is coming to read. Something. Oh my goodness! So it's like we're in great company. And, I just think it's really smart of him to say, hey, I'm in New York City. Yeah. You know, we can get people to come in and do things. And it's really made a difference to these kids. So That's incredible. Well, I'm excited to hear how it goes. Thanks. (laughs) So your husband is a fashion designer. What is it like for you guys, you know, to be married to another artist? It's really, I think it's inspiring. Yeah. Um, It was super inspiring to see him because he was studying accounting and then he, he saw me living an artist life and he said, I feel artistic. So I said, well, what are you interested in? And he said, I, I like fashion. This is way back. Yeah. But so I encouraged him you know, to go to FIT. He became the star of the program and won big awards. And it's been so inspiring to watch him. Because you've seen his entire in industry and journey to a place of where he's very respected and um, 
I'm, I'm just super proud of him. And, and just that journey was very inspiring to watch. Mm -hmm. And he has a great sensibility about other things. Like he'll see my readings and he's more honest than I need him to be. <laughs> but um, he's, he's great. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's inspiring and it's fun that we can, we can comment. I'm visual. So right. I can comment on his, and, and I can help him even sometimes. Like I, some, uh, I can give him some helpful feedback, mm -hmm. although I don't know that much about it, but I'm sort of involved painting costumes and things like that. Right. It's the, we overlap a little bit, um, but not enough to really <laughs> get in each other's business. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <It's> perfect. <laughs> well, and when we came up to visit you guys at your house too, it's just that I love that you're both makers. Like you like to do things with your hands and he was so excited about the garden and the chickens and like you have all these kind of building that, rebuilding that house together with all these projects. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. It's, I love it. And one of the best things about it is when people like you come up and visit, you know, because then you can feel like, um, we've been making this environment, you know, for family, you know, and I right. think, you know, anybody who comes up, you want to share it. Part of the family. Mm. Are there any, uh, concrete things that you turn to when you find yourself going to the dark side, like a, a book that you return to or music that you listen to or a place you like to go? Well, I go away from Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how I, I sometimes I'll find myself just scrolling through it on my phone. I'm like, why, why am I doing this? I'm not really finding anything of interest about the people I love. I'm seeing like the same videos posted again and again, and I, but I just keep, keep stro scrolling. <laughs> like just stop, put it away. Yeah. Such a distraction sometimes. Yeah. I'm guilty of the political things sometimes. Um, but one thing I try not to do is I don't even have to try. It's just not me. Just the negative comments about other people. Yeah. One thing that I, I recently really bothered me was um the um sad affleck music. yeah i saw that you know why it's are you enjoying it's like the schadenfreude and a lot mm -hmm. of my friends are actors and if they were in his position they wouldn't want that of course not and they wouldn't think it was funny it would be hurtful and when you're when someone throws a question at you like that interviewer did and said asked him point blank about the bad reviews that's a horrible question to be asked in on camera or even off camera mm -hmm. and to be put on the spot like that I, I don't know why anybody would ask that question who's who's gonna say oh I love bad review you know it's why go there and then to see people laughing about it I don't know maybe I don't have a sense of humor anymore but I just feel like why you know, if you if you're if you attain everything you want to attain as another actor in this business, and you're not going to want that to happen to you. So. Yeah, I feel like I people know. forget pretty quickly yeah. about putting themselves in other people's shoes. Yeah, and we all have just very small degrees of separation from yeah. a lot of people. So. So you get away from Facebook. Yes, and I think probably I go in the yard. Yeah. That probably is. Go outside. It. Yeah. 
Is there anything that you've seen recently that you want to recommend? Any friends shows or anything? Or you've just been working nonstop, yeah. It's um, really demanding. I don't get to see very much, which is terrible for what I'm doing. But, and also for not being able to support my friends as much as I'd like to. Um, Are you... What's going on now? I Mm -hmm. want to see The Crucible, because Aaron is in it. Yes, the lovely Aaron Willoughby. And uh, I just, there's so many things I want to see. Yeah. what What I can say. So when you're working, um, is it normal hours or what is it like for a, a painter? Are you there well, during the night or <laughs> what is the... When you're on the shooting, yeah. crew, you're there from... At the beginning of the week, we start at 7. Mm-hmm. And it depends on how many hours you work. You're just there the whole time until they wrap. And the later you go in the week, the later the next call is because you have a 12-hour turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Like one night you might go till 10, and then the next day you don't start till 10. And so if that day goes more than 12 hours, then you're there till 1. It's by the end of the week sometimes it can be really long. Yeah. Um, late. We call them fratter days. <laughs> On Fridays they go really late. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of uh, during the week when you're on a shooting crew, you can't really do anything else. Just um, takes over your week, mm-hmm. and then you really only have the weekend mm-hmm. to do everything that you need to do. Yeah, but I was thinking about something when we were talking about Erin, mm-hmm. Erin Willoughby, who is in the Crucible, and she was in uh, my play Likeness that we, uh, where we met, at yeah, New Harmony, the New Harmony Project. Yeah, um, and I was remembering something. When after right after the New Harmony project, we did a reading of likeness at primary stages, and I brought Erin out from Indiana to do it because she was so perfect for the role, and it was it was so fun to to do that, and and she was it was her first time in New York, and that was such a high for me to have her yeah um, do that, and Roger Reeves played her dad, and the the first time I met him, I was painting scenery for a show that he was directing at Playwrights Horizons. Wow. And we just were talking one day or something, mm-hmm. and I mentioned that I was interested in writing. And I don't, I, I, I'm sure I wasn't obnoxious about it because I, I tried to be backward about it when I'm wearing paint clothes, yeah. especially back then. But um, he's, I let him know somehow. And he said, well, I started as a scenic painter. Really? Yeah, and we actually sort of stayed in touch with each other because huh. of that. Um, and that's how I got into uh, reading likeness, and we stayed, mm-hmm. we were always in touch after that. Not frequently, right? But, but uh, whenever I saw him, we would chat a little bit. Um, rest in peace. Yeah, he was great. But he was what a funny was coincidence! Very, yeah, he was somebody who was very open-minded. Back when yeah. I used to be really worried about the perception of me in paint clothes, as opposed to me being a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was somebody who was totally understood that you could be more than one thing. Right. You know, and um, it would be nice if everybody understood that. Yes, it would. I don't worry about it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try to learn that lesson from you. Let's see. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you were thinking you wanted to talk about? Um, 
I just want to talk about when you and I are going to do something <laughs> I would love that. I know we did that one little... That was so much fun. Um, David asked me to do this little... Was it a five-minute or a ten-minute play? Ten-minute. But it was in a restaurant in Long Island City, which was so cool. And it took place in a restaurant, and the, everyone else was eating around us, and it was really fun. Yeah, well, we should figure out something. Maybe yeah. we'll do our, our plan to film a Shakespeare play up at your up yes. on your lawn. Yes, that mm. really fun. Well, David, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Really appreciate it. podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi. And a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.